You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Psychedelia. Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. It's my mix, uh, my mix up. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, this is Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, and 3CR.org.au. And thank you very much to Freedom Species, who will be back next week from 1 pm. Find them at 3CR.org.au uh, and get in touch with them. And download the podcast as well, because podcasting is uh, very handy for those of us who can't tune in at one o'clock for Freedom of Species or two o'clock for In Psychedelia. Uh, but if you are tuned in right now, then welcome to the program. This is a program where we discuss all things drugs. Uh, we are different to some of the other programs, or at least one of the other programs on here, uh, Living Free, which is on Thursdays, I think, three o'clock or four o'clock. Um, which is a show that you can uh, have a listen to. They talk a lot about recovery for those that have struggled with addiction issues over the uh, over the uh, years and um, want to discuss that. But we have a slightly different uh, angle a lot of the time. Uh, we like to discuss the policy issues in particular. Um, we're not looking for people to necessarily repent for their past sin of taking an illicit substance. Um, I'm not saying that... Free, uh, that, uh, that, that um, just living free. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, necessarily, um, but it is a, a slightly different narrative that uh, often comes from uh, the uh, insert anonymous type groups out there in the twelve step programs and things like that, which absolutely does work for some people uh, and absolutely doesn't for others. Uh, just as much, in fact, even more um, by the uh, by the figures. And sitting across from me right now is Ash Blackwell. Ash, how you doing? Afternoon, Nick. Uh, folks out there, I'm doing quite well. Good. So, yeah, had a good couple of days up in Sydney. Good. Did you have a wonderful long weekend for this uh, this tried and true and ancient tradition of the grand final day long weekend? I I, I did um, a, a little bit of an accidentally long weekend. I, I missed a flight back to Melbourne on Thursday, so <laughs> ended up spending an extra day in Sydney, which you know turned out to be not such a bad thing. Yes, so we'll get to Sydney in a tick. Um, on the program though, this afternoon we do have a bit of a uh, a special, a thematic special. Uh, can you uh, introduce our theme? Uh, yeah, we're talking about vaping. It's um, we've kind of been uh, wanting to do this one for a little while, and you know, there's there's been so much happening in the space that um, it's kind of got kicked down the road a little bit. But today is a vaping special. We're going to be hearing from um, a, a group of medical experts that set up a, an advisory group. Uh, we'll be hearing from um, some of the lead campaigners that have been speaking to politicians and uh, stirring things up, and speaking to the president of Australia's. Uh, consumer group so vaping all all weekend long uh, all, all episode long um, <laughs> and for those that aren't familiar what we're talking about we are talking about electronic cigarettes and alternatives to combustible tobacco that are a little bit different to things like patches and gum that you might be familiar with um, yeah so you know, e-cigarettes cover a, a range of different products, and that's what the focus is for today's show. And that uh, we'll be getting to that shortly. But news time first. And psychedelia news of the week. I don't condone or advocate that everyone should use illicit drugs. I think it's a, a huge decision made with the right amount of research and forethought. The intention is to discourage ICE use. The actual effect is it encourages the stigmatisation of people who use this drug. The risk there is people are less likely to disclose their use even when they're experiencing some issues, so they're less likely to access essential health services. The potential for harm increases. People feel hesitant to be open about who they are because they're afraid of judgment from family members or people at work or, or just people in society in general. Many of them have conservative mindsets regardless of their politics uh, and will just say, oh well, then the, the, the government are not looking after us and therefore it seems as a law and order issue rather than a, a social problem that needs to be dealt with on, on a Drug news from Melbourne and around the world. So I guess um, one of our key kind of news events for um, this week has been stuff that came from the pill testing panel that uh, I was actually a part of on um, Thursday morning at New South Wales Parliament, which was organised by David Shoebridge and some of his parliamentary colleagues. And that's led to a, uh, a whole bunch of reporting kind of covering the the idea, I, I guess we, I'm going to 
try and digest a couple of articles here. Um, some of what was spoken about in the in the panel and has been reported on since is uh, comments from people like uh, festival promoters and um, I've I've actually forgotten her name, but the the head of Music New South Wales, a industry lobby group, uh, who was also in the room, and they spoke about um, well, one thing that they spoke about is is that. Uh, people from the industry and representatives from organisations such as Music New South Wales should be consulted in Premier Gladys Berejalkian's uh, expert panel that she's put together. Um, as it consists at the moment, the um, the panel consists of... Uh, let me just see if I can get it up in front of me here. Um, uh, where are we? Uh, it's, I can't the get, it's the, it's the um, police commissioner, Mick Fuller, um, uh, a health expert and a representative from the, um, I think the Hotels and Gaming Association. Um, and, you know, people kind of commented that there was a real gap in, in that particular panel in expertise from people from the industry, from the community, people that actually have harm reduction and, and safety as part of their core business when it comes to, to festivals. So people that are a little bit more inside that process. Um, and uh, th there has actually been a, a commitment behind the scenes for Gladys to consult with uh, groups like Music New South Wales. Um, so it seems that this, this kind of pressure is starting to have an effect. Uh, indeed, I expect it was the reason for this uh, panel being convened in the first place was to hear from those kind of alternative voices. Um, you know, one of the other things being spoken about, uh, I think we've got a clip that we're going to hear from shortly um, from Gino Van Booker from um, the Yarra Drug and Health Forum, AGM. And um, that is around the, the shenanigans still going on in Canberra with the National Capital Authority that have um, ruled out any kind of pill testing operation happening at the Spilt Milk Festival, which is coming up, I think, in just over a month. And... Um, because Canberra uh, ACT has uh, weird laws around uh, federal land, there's the, this authority which has basically ruled it out happening on, on government land there. So there's this um, somewhat absurd conversation now happening about where they might be able to operate this service just outside of you know where the boundary is of the National Capital Authority's kind of uh, jurisdiction, I guess. Which, you know, I mean, it's just really disappointing to see these kind of politics played with it because this is something that the, the Australian Capital Territories Police Commissioner wants. It's something that has government support, that the medical agencies have all bought in. There's, there's nobody in the ACT... That, that has a big problem with this other than the, you know, the opposition parties, but they're not the ones in power making the decisions. So the government, all of the relevant agencies, the festivals, the consumers and, a, you know, good swath of the media are all in support of this. But because of this weird anachronism of um, ACT law, that it's still being, you know, hurdles are still being thrown in the way and roadblocks. And um, as as just mentioned, uh, Gino Van Booker, the president of Harm Reduction Australia, was speaking at the Yarra Drug and Health Forum uh, annual general meeting on Wednesday. And Gino was part of the consortium who ran the successful pill testing trial at Groove in the Moo in the ACT a few months back, uh, which has been widely reported on and um, widely reported as a success, though um, uh, I think it was 180, 150 or 180 people um, came through of a fairly large festival. They were sort of tucked away and whatnot, but this was uh, this was the first trial of it. Um the consortium has been speaking with Spilt Milk Festival, where they almost held their first pill testing trial a year ago, uh, but they ran into similar difficulties that they did in 2017. We had the support of everybody in the ACT, but unfortunately uh, the festival is held on federal land, which is controlled by the National Capital Authority, which is a department of the federal government. For reasons only known to them, they're not supportive of pill testing and won't allow us to do pill testing on the site. Our message to government is that we're going to continue to push and our focus really is on what we're calling front of house testing. We want to see front of house testing for a reason and that's because of the principles behind that and I'm going to put a slide up at the end here to show what some of the principles are about the way we operate. But there's a couple of key ones in there. One is that you have to involve peers 
as, you know, in the development and the delivery of the program. And the second one is you have to engage with people. Backhouse testing provides some information that can be useful, we're not denying that, but it doesn't engage with people. Uh, and that for us is problematic. That's President of Harm Reduction Australia, Gino Van Booker, there speaking at the Yarra Drug Health Forum annual general meeting about pill testing uh, and ending there on a point on why the consortium has focused on a front of house model, which just means that um, any member, say you're at a festival, you can go along and you can have um, whatever, a a cap, a a bag of powder, a pill, whatever it happens to be, tested and get the results back to you. So it's it's public facing. Um, The other kind of model that's proposed is a back of house model. Um, Back of house is sort of um, akin to what the police uh, already do, uh, which is uh, testing if there has been an incident or they've done some confiscations and they're trying to get data on what the market looks like uh, at that sort of post-market point, that uh, uh, the emergency services point. Um, so that's sort of the main difference there. Yeah, the one one way that I've heard it described is a halfway house model. It's uh, kind of like a step in the direction of getting towards a front of house model that um, may be more agreeable to you know conservative institutions and politicians and things like that. Um, <clears throat> one of the articles that uh, was uh, written up in the Canberra Times was actually from Gino and David Caldicott, and um, you know one of the key points that they make is that um, the, the the model that they're that they have delivered and that they've established is a medically supervised model and it follows the guidelines outlined in the European Union so when organizations like the National Capital Authority make decisions like this they should be engaging with the experts now they have the right to make decisions like that they can make them for whatever reason but they should at least be informed by expert opinion yeah but that's something we see them um uh, just just about doing handstands with their knees to try and avoid and I'm not try and picture that for a while because that's what's going on and it's not just this policy area I think across 3CR we hear a lot of shows uh, focusing on on niche issues where they have very very similar frustrations to what we have and that's I think what we all have in common unfortunately a frustration of um, being sidelined and not listened to by the authorities as much as they can uh, democratically and I put that in some pretty sarcastic uh, parent thesis there but uh, yeah try and avoid having a real discussion about things yeah so um at the at the panel on thursday one of the other sort of interesting things that that came up for me was um around this uh people that listen to the show regularly would have heard me ranting about this figure of 700 which has been the quoted (laughs) figure of how many people at defcon one visited the medical tent um and anybody who works in this space knows that that figure of 700 doesn't actually reflect uh, how many people went there for drug-related incidents. And there was the director of Colbrow Medical was there and, you know, he kind of reiterated this point that um, it's important to push back against that perception because most uh, events like that, and, you know, he's done a whole bunch of them and so have I, um, it, it's band-aids, it's you know, people having a headache from not drinking enough water and dancing in the sun all day, the kind of things that could happen at home, you know, it's like, oh, I rolled my ankle a little bit because there was some uneven ground. And that is the vast majority of medical visits at all of these kinds of events. You know, his his sort of educated guess would be that probably 650 of those 700 visits were for relatively minor everyday medical occurrences that might happen at a family fate if it was scaled up to 30,000 people. Oh, well, I'm just wondering about uh, one certain event that happened over the weekend with uh, hundreds of thousands of people, oh, well, 100,000 or so um, at the Great MCG and uh, people all across the city <laughs> celebrating in all sorts of ways. Are we going to get um, a nice statistic telling us about the uh, uh, all those that are involved with the AFL scene and uh, well, how much they put pressure on the medical community and the See, I did see a couple of articles coming out about the expectation of a rise in domestic violence, which oh, tends yeah. to track with those kinds of events. But I think with stuff like that, it, the complexity there is that um, the, I imagine that there is an increased strain on, on uh, medical services, but it's distributed across the, the network of hospitals and, and things you know around the state or indeed maybe the country. So it's, you know, like I don't know that that's as easy to manage when you've actually got on site for for an extended duration more people that are there and so more likely for whatever medical 
issue they're having to come up while they're at the event. You know, if they're there for 10 hours rather than the couple of hours of the grand final, that people might be there. Uh, one final story we've got time for. Oh, um, do you have a final one, or we can? Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, there were a couple of festivals over this weekend, uh, and and just um, big gigs. There was uh, one at um, Marvel Stadium, just sorry, Etihad Stadium, no longer Etihad Stadium or Telstra Dome. The the one down at Docklands is now called Marvel Stadium. There was a big gig there uh, in the basement car park, um, and usual sort of operation, sniffer dogs out the front, um, but no particular huge incidents to report from that one. But uh, Burning Seed Festival in New South Wales, uh, you heard a little bit about what was going uh, on with that. Let's, let's come back to Burning okay. Seed next weekend when I've got a bit better of an understanding. But just for a quick snippet of news around the world, um, it's not happy news, unfortunately. Reported on 9news.com.au. Uh, just the latest figures from Mexico's escalating drug war. And I think it's important to just remember that that is just one of the most brutal wars happening on this planet. And it's happening with people fighting over control of the the drug market there. And um, the figure quoted in the story is that more than 17,000 people have been killed in Mexico this year alone. Now, that's a country, you know, just that's been torn apart by, like, just horrible violence. That equates to 80 people a day being being murdered in in that country. And I believe the the overall um, uh, death... Uh, the, the overall number of deaths that's happened there is a greater number than has happened in Syria's civil war. So that's the scale of things. You know, we talk about police operations and, and things that happen here in Australia. It's a whole other scale over there in Mexico. So maybe just touch on that one to, to close out the news. Uh, we will be talking all things uh, nicotine vaping or e-cigarette uh, vaping uh, shortly. On in psychedelia, this is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, and 3CR.org.au, Liquid with Fofern. 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, and 3CR.org.au. Uh, did I already say it's in psychedelia? Because it is, and we're talking all <laughs> things drugs um, and the oft-forgotten drug nicotine. And on the line right now, we have Stephen Elsom, uh, a board member of ATHRA, that is the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association's Board of Directors. He's a retired mental health nurse and academic and is joining us today to talk about vaping. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks very much. So ATHRA is a new thing on the scene. People might not have heard about it. Um, why did a group of medical professionals decide to start a, a vaping advisory organisation? Um, well, essentially, the, the mission of AFRA is to reduce harms from smoking. So, essentially, it was um, the brainchild of um, Colin and Joe, the two of the doctors on the board, and there are, as you mentioned, four doctors on the board and myself as a consumer member um, because I'm a vapor. Um, and the, the initial idea, of course, is to spread information about vaping as a, um, a much less harmful way of using nicotine. It doesn't involve combustion and all the, the dangerous things that smoking involves. Um, and essentially our mission is to educate the public, educate smokers and, and educate health professionals about ways that they can help smokers to, um, to switch to less harmful it's a, nicotine it, consumption. It's a it's a strange political area in Australia where um, mm-hmm. a lot of the established health bodies are not exactly on board with vaping. How has that been for um, for Athra kind of relating to these other medical associations that still haven't quite come on board? Have they listened more with a with a medical group there making the case? Look. Well, to be honest, unfortunately, no. We we haven't made a lot of traction with um, medical authorities and the, you know, charities like Quit and Cancer Council, those sort of established bodies. Um, they're very entrenched in their positions, and they're essentially all adopting this um, more so-called precautionary approach, um, saying that we simply don't know enough about the safety of vaping or e-cigarettes. They keep referring to them, um, and that we should therefore wait until we know more. But the whole problem with that sort of approach, of course, is that um, they're looking at the risks of e-cigarettes or vaping, but they're not looking at the risks of not 
supporting e-cigarettes or vaping. And the, the obvious risk is that smokers who would have converted to what is universally accepted as a much safer form of nicotine consumption are denied that opportunity, so they keep smoking. So that's you know the lost opportunity there, balanced against the risk, you know, unknown risks that might. Um, manifest sometime down the track. It's a, a strange position. It really is quite baffling, but unfortunately, the medical establishment in this country has been very slow to respond. That's actually a, a common critique as well of uh, this this public policy idea of the precautionary principle, um, which uh, I understand sort of got developed in, in environmental science. I don't know if you know a lot about the, the background of that sort of policy approach, but um, it had been critiqued in the environmental sciences because uh, around the introduction of new technology to overcome problems, um, because one of the issues was that when it was applied, sometimes they were missing out on potential benefits of new technology because of the uh, of the caution um, and then continuing to use legacy technology that was causing a lot of harm because they didn't quite know and and it's the same thing that we're seeing now in, in public health it is that's quite absurd really it's like being cautious about getting off a railway line in case you sprain your ankle yeah rather than being <laughs> run over by the train it's just completely bizarre but anyway so what about in your um that's where we sit so, but we are having more success and gaining a lot more traction speaking to well speaking to the general public but also particularly focusing on politicians and the media making a bit of some um, headway in that direction and i'm sure you're aware that um uh, current liberal government and our liberal health minister greg hunt has um agreed to a, an independent scientific inquiry so that's a, a very positive development in recent weeks has Greg Hunt or his office spoken to your team there at Athra yet? Uh, not directly. I mean, you're, I'm sure you're aware that um, Greg made the, the infamous statement that um, e-cigarettes would not be legalised in Australia on my watch. Well, they always say that until they say something else, don't they? I'm curious <laughs> about... Think, well, he's, he has, in fact, been um, persuaded, obviously, by the growing number of Liberal politicians in this country who are, in fact, getting on on board with legalising vaping, um, notably from Trent Zimmerman, and you would have been aware of the parliamentary inquiry and the um, the dissenting report that was um, also submitted by the chair and a few other members of that committee, which actually, um, you know, the inquiry was negative and basically status quo maintained vaping as an illegal thing, basically, but um, Trent and some of his colleagues put in a dissenting report, which is... Um, well, unusual and precedented, in fact, and um, that, um, that, along with quite a few other Liberal MPs getting on board, has uh, managed to convince the party room. So, yeah, um, Minister Hunt has um, referred to a scientific inquiry. So, yeah, we're, we're all, of course, crossing our fingers that they um, come up with the, the evidence that we expect them to come up to, and it is truly a, an independent and impartial inquiry, not loaded with the, the anti-tobacco lobby people yeah um i'm curious about uh with your work you know you've obviously worked as a nurse and you've been a a Mm. vapor yourself how Mm. how have you gone with those um maybe more personal conversations with some of your your colleagues in the medical fraternity um you know Um, when you kind of step away from those big institutions and actually chat to other doctors and nurses yeah, look, there's a, there's a lot of ignorance there, and certainly speaking to clinicians, most of the people I speak to have either not heard about it or have heard of it but know very little about it, and they've seen you know, sensational stories which pop up now and again about how dangerous it all is and you know, someone's battery explodes in a pocket or all those sorts of things. So they've heard those sort of dramatic, sensational sort of things that have appeared in the media, but um, usually when I speak to them face-to-face, and you know, a lot of them knew that I was a a pretty heavy smoker for a while, um, they can they can see the common sense in it. Um, and it's, well, just just a, just a moment just to tell you my personal experience of it. I was a, a pretty dedicated smoker. Uh, that's probably a, a, a euphemism for saying I'd, I'd given up on giving up after trying multiple methods and you know, giving up multiple times. The old Mark Twain saying, giving up smoking is easy. I've done it many times. Well, that was certainly me, but my trouble was staying quit from smoking and I you know, could go weeks or months and back to a couple of years at one stage but it didn't take much to get me back onto it but 
um, you know, that one slip up at a, at a party somewhere, typically intoxicated with alcohol or something, and you have a the one off smoke, and next thing you know, you're back to a packet a day again. And that was that was me for um, thirty odd years. And I actually discovered vaping on a, a work trip to the UK. Just simply walked into a chemist shop and bought one over the counter, and um, that was the last day. Both my wife, both my wife and I, it was the last day we smoked. We just didn't um, feel any desire to smoke again, and found something that's much safer, much cheaper, just generally better. So it was a, a very simple um, thing to quit smoking for us, the vaping. So we immediately saw the potential, and particularly being mental health nurses, both my wife and I, we did immediately see the potential for um, people with mental illnesses who you, you probably know are um, very heavy smokers compared to the general population. Even though they're just as motivated to quit, they do struggle to quit and smoke at much higher rates than the general population. So the, the potential there, and given that we're also talking about um, people with mental illnesses also being some of the most socioeconomically disadvantaged people in society, the potential savings you know, estimated at roughly 15% of the cost of smoking if they switch to vaping. That could be transformative for those sort of people. So... Um, yeah, that, that was a, a big eye-opener for me and part of the reason I've been on the, the campaign since to see what we can do about getting people with mental illness to switch to vaping. Yeah, I think that um, you've, you've kind of hit on a few points there which really uh, motivates me around this issue is that, um, you know, we've kind of got this, like, grey laws right now. Like, if you want to vape and you want to vape with nicotine, there's there's ways that you can get access to it but those ways often might have barriers for people with mental illness or with you know from a low socioeconomic area that don't have good digital literacy it's just a higher bar for those people so there's a real social equity kind of uh, element to this whole debate there certainly is yes and it was brought home very strongly to me recently by a a long-term friend of mine who has chronic schizophrenia and these days lives in a special accommodation facility where his disability pension is basically taken by the facility and they feed him cigarettes during the day and all the staff smoke and you know he doesn't have a mobile phone doesn't have internet access there's just no way in the world he's going to be going online ordering his nicotine supplies and vaping equipment and those sort of things and you know walking into a corner shop's not an option of course so yeah he's basically condemned to smoking and it's all supported by the, the system that he's living in um, we're going to have to to move along so that we can hear from some of our other guests. Um, where can people find more information about Athra? Um, the best place to go is to, to the Athra website, which is simply athra.org.au. So that's a t h r a dot org dot au. That's correct. Yes. Thank and you. There's all sorts of information there for general public and for smokers, and a special section for health professionals. Excellent. All right. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks very much for the opportunity. And that was Stephen Elsom from the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association. And you can go to their website, athra.org.au. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio Celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. This is in Psychedelia. Keep the conversation going online on our social media, Facebook or Twitter. Uh, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to our program page to find our Facebook and Twitter. And on the line now, we have Brian Marlow, the Campaign Director of Legalised Vaping Australia. Welcome back to In Psychedelia, Brian. G'day, mate. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, you would be pretty happy with the state of affairs. We've managed to get an inquiry across across the line. 
Yeah, and a properly independent inquiry. I mean, so we are happy. Uh, I don't personally see the need for another inquiry when we literally have all mm -hmm. of the evidence that shows that vaping is safer and that it will help people quit smoking and, you know, provide all these public health benefits. But that being said, you know, any progress is better than what we've had for the last 12 months. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a cause for celebration when that was announced. So you've been working hard behind the scenes for a little while. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, what you've been doing with the legalised vaping campaign over the last few months? Yeah, I mean, uh, some people joke that it's probably the political equivalent of bashing your head, head against the wall, but a lot of it's been involved with meeting with MPs, uh, going down to Canberra as much as possible and sort of really just hashing it out with a lot of MPs and, and, and educating them through the process. Uh, the issue with vaping is a lot of people don't know about the issue and they don't even know that vaping nicotine is illegal in every state and territory. So educating politicians through, through that process and why uh, supporting legalisation is a benefit was a pretty tough slog. Uh, but something that you know it seems to be seems to be getting there, and it's something that we all, you know did with other organisations as well, New Nicotine Alliance and Athra with Dr. Colin Mendelson and Dr. Wodak. Yeah, excellent. And um, well, I should just give a plug here to uh, Vape Force One, the um, <laughs> the big truck, because I did actually hear about that all the way from Warsaw at the Global Forum on Nicotine. Um, so you were the pilot of Vape Force One. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? pilot, so to speak. Yeah, that was our campaign bus. So we thought to ourselves, well, how can we actually get this issue kind of on the map, so to speak? Um, and we had the idea of, well, let's hire out a van and use that to sort of travel along the east coast of Australia. And we can go to marginal electorates and we can go to major hubs to sort of educate people about the issue, but also provide an attraction for people to come out and find out what we're about. So that, I think, is what really sort of put this issue on the map, is that newspapers started noticing uh, that this bus was rocking up in their town and then doing a write-up about it and politicians started noticing because they were getting calls from journalists saying, hey, these guys are in your electorate talking about vaping, helping you know, smokers quit. What do you have to say? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it's, it, it, it's probably one of the better ideas that we had during this campaign was, was getting that bus and, and getting out on the road. Yeah, excellent. Well, it's certainly got the, issue, got the issue out there. And you've also spoken to a lot of vapors and... Um you know, they've had a pretty compelling story to tell as well. What's what's your experience been of, like, actually getting to know the vaping community? Uh, pretty humbling, to be honest. Uh, most vapors I've met are people that have tried every other method to quit. Uh, some of them even tried things like hypnosis. But, they've you know, they've tried Champix, patches, gum, uh, quitting cold turkey, uh, and none of those uh, products worked. But vaping was that thing that worked for them. Uh, and as well as that, they're saving money. I mean, you, you know just as well as I do that <clears throat> the average vape and the average smoker is a, a working-class person. They don't really have the money to be able to afford 30 or $40 for a pack of cigarettes. So being able to switch to something that's safer, that also uh, doesn't take as much out of their hip pocket, it's, it's been a game-changer for a lot of these people. It was really good to see. Uh, we had people drive, you know, a couple of hours just to come and see us, see us at, at, at our bus and collect material and support our campaign, which was humbling. Yeah, right. That is, that's quite a thing. I mean, I guess, you know, once you've kind of successfully, after many tries, quit this really dangerous product, I'm sure it's um, quite motivating. Yeah, and uh, I, one of the things I always ask vapors when we're on the road tour and every time I meet them at vape shops and stuff, uh, they go, okay, uh, did this help you quit? And the answer is always yes. Uh, and I also follow up with, would you ever smoke cigarettes again? And I'm not... I am yet to hear a single vapor say, yeah, you know what, I'd go back from vaping to cigarettes. None of them want to be on cigarettes. Now, most smokers that I know don't like the fact that they smoke. Uh, they're addicted to nicotine. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's the, the core element, really, isn't it? It's the, the, not the nicotine that's the dangerous component. Exactly. It's all the carcinogens and the tar and the tobacco when you actually light it up and burn it. Uh, and luckily, this, this product doesn't do that. So it's significantly safer, 95% less harmful according to uh, UK Royal College of Physicians. Hey Brian, one of the one of the big problems that's faced um, uh, advocates who are, who are calling for a change in the law, change in the regulation so that um, nicotine at least can be accessed for vaping and that vaping probably shouldn't be uh, really um, controllingly regulated in the same way as tobacco relegating e-cigarette users uh, or, or vaping users out to the same places, people who are smoking tobacco in small little you know corridors and whatnot. But one of the big problems Problems, the big argument that's that's um, landed at the feet of those looking for change is that this is all some ploy 
by Big Tobacco. And I've heard it um, not not just from the big advocates, but I was listening to um, ABC Melbourne not too long ago, and John Fain um, was was quite adamant that it must that all the callers, all these people who were calling in to say, uh, "No, I have got off um, cigarettes because of vaping." He he sort of oh, insinuated, by Big yeah, he insinuated that they were that they were um, <laughs> that they were dummies, that they were put out there uh, part of this campaign, and it, it's kind of. Uh, it's it's hard to unless you go and get every single person and, and give them a, a personal back background check for for Mr John Fain. It's kind of it's a hard one to battle because a lot of people have this idea of the evil tobacco company. What do we do about this? Yeah, I mean, look, this is what this is like the myth that never goes away. Uh, is this myth of like, oh, big tobacco's uh, behind all of this, and they're the ones that are organising for people to switch to vaping because they stand to make a you know uh, profit out of it, but. Like, I've met these people. These people don't like tobacco products. And I'm sorry to say it, the, the products that tobacco companies are trying to create to get into the vaping industry, they're all garbage compared to what already exists. I mean, vaping is something that's come out underneath uh, and, and well ahead of, of the tobacco industry by people who wanted to find a way to, to essentially have a, a less harmful technology. Um, it, it, it's frustrating when I hear this, uh, big tobacco conspiracy because, you know, as you said, uh, are we suggesting that all these people who call up who have said, look, it's helped me quit. I can run around in my backyard with my kids. I don't cough up my lungs every morning. I feel healthier. Are they all, are they all what, backed by big tobacco? It's, it's ludicrous. Uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's it's ludicrous, ludicrous, and and feels somewhat offensive. Um, though I, can, I mean, I'm close to this issue, and I've um, heard from people, and I know that it's not uh, that big tobacco is is not at the forefront of this from personal experience, and I can explain that to people. But I'm I'm guessing that in the courses that uh, university students who want to study public health are doing, I bet you there's case studies on uh, the tobacco companies and the sorts of. Um, you know, let's face it, dodgy kinds of things that they are up to in the 1970s, trying to obfuscate the data. And, and people are probably very wary of this kind of approach, especially since that seems to be the approach of uh, of big fossil fuel companies across the world now. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're the tobacco companies of the 1970s now. Just yes. Throw that well, in I mean, look, we should always be wary uh, of what tobacco companies are trying to do. Uh, I, I absolutely agree with that. One thing I would say, though... Um, is unlike in the 70s, this isn't data that's been cherry-picked by some scientific organisation that was privately funded. All this data that shows that vaping is safer, it's been done by numerous peer-reviewed organisations, public health bodies. The Royal College of Physicians is a 500-year-old institution. Back in the 60s, they were, you know, campaigning against tobacco companies. Uh, American Cancer Institute, they were previously against vaping, and then they looked at the overwhelming evidence and went, you know what, we're wrong, and they've changed their stance. Uh, so it's, you know, you always, yeah, you do want to be wary with whatever data a tobacco company might have. Uh, but the, the fact is that this, the data on this is so overwhelming and it's coming from organizations that are dedicated to bettering people's, uh, way of life. Yeah, I think for me, um, <clears throat> one of the big elements in this discussion is is an article I read a little while back that um, showed that the four main uh, multinational tobacco companies, their share prices dropped on average 20% in the quarter leading up to the end of last financial year. So, yeah. you know, like I really feel like they're playing catch up here because the, the reason for that drop, I would imagine, is mostly because of vaping and the, the projections of people shifting away from, from smoking tobacco. Yeah, and and if if MPs want to hurt tobacco companies, I mean this this is something that they should get on board with because the, the fact is they do get hurt by this, uh, and the adverse happens when they crack down on vaping. So over in America, the FDA was uh, making an announcement that they were potentially going to try and crack down on vaping flavors and all that kind of stuff. There was an immediate bump up in stocks in tobacco industries over there. So like, who are they benefiting here? Who are they actually fighting for? You do start to wonder. <laughs> I've been wondering now for the past yeah. uh, seven, eight years. I'll, I'll just quickly finish on this point because we are running out. But about um, seven or eight years ago over in WA, uh, somebody got done for um, selling vapes. Uh, he wasn't selling nicotine at all. Uh, his name's Vince Van Herdeen. You probably have heard of him. Um, and the, the company was Heavenly Vapes. And, yeah, they ran him over the over the coals for it. He, uh, black um, like SUVs turned up at his house to do the raid, right? So it's a real, like... 
like, you know, quite intimidating style raid on his e-cigarette collection. And he ended up uh, $100,000 sinking into this uh, into this uh, court battle. Uh, and he lost in the end um, because the against the WA Health Department who wanted to protect against... Uh, va- oh, ba- basically, tobacco products that weren't tobacco products. This was the part of the legislation that they used. Um, and that legislation was meant to be for protecting children from tobacco company trying to get tobacco-type products out there. And they, would, they were using this against e-cigarettes, but effectively providing a competitive advantage to the tobacco companies because they get a free reign. Well, exactly. I mean, the local smoke mart or something like that can still sell a product that kills two and three users. Um, It's very frustrating because a lot of health bodies at a federal and and, and even state level, they have a very ham-fisted approach to this. Uh, Queensland uh, in particular is quite bad at this and that Queensland Health basically consider anything vaping-related a tobacco product. So there's a couple of stores around here uh, in Queensland that have had uh, bottles of distilled water out on the floor and Queensland Health come in and said, that's a tobacco product, you need to put that behind the blackout curtain <laughs> because it's in a vape shop, it's, it's tobacco. It's just... Yeah. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and then, you know, these are products that can help people get off the thing that we want everyone to get off. Mm. Um, we are going to have to... We're going to have to leave it there so we can catch up with Charles from New Nicotine Alliance. Um, Thanks for joining us on the radio today. And um, where can people go to find out more about future campaigns? If you want to find out more about our campaign, you can go to legalisevaping.com.au. Uh, you can find a petition on there that sends a message to your local MP based on your postcode saying that you want vaping legalised. Uh, and you can chip in and, and make a donation and, and, and help us keep on, keep on keeping on so that we can actually make sure we win this issue. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and talking to us about that today, Brian. No worries. Thanks, guys. Brian Marlowe from Legalise Vaping Australia. And that website again, legalisevaping.com.au. You're listening to In Psychedelia on 3CR. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Three CR Community Radio eight five five AM, three CR Digital, and three cr.org.au. You're listening to In Psychedelia for the next thirteen minutes. Uh, Queering the air is up next. We've been talking all things uh, vaping this episode. We focus uh, on the show on drugs and on the intersection of drug issues and the the many other facets of uh, of life, public life, personal life, private life, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, I mean, we haven't forgotten nicotine, but I know a lot of other people forget nicotine in in drug policy discussions. Uh, and we're we've got a big focus on that uh, this afternoon. And next up, we're hearing from Charles Yates, the president of the New Nicotine Alliance Australia. Welcome to the show, Charles. Thank you very much. How are you guys doing? Yeah, really good. Really good. So um, tell us about the New Nicotine Alliance. Well, it's a, um, an independent, not-for-profit organisation, uh, advocacy-based, of course, um, in support of tobacco harm reduction products and their uses. It was started uh, about four years ago by a Victorian-based doctor. Um, There's been a few people on the board come and go. Um, I actually was an associate or have been an associate for about three years and just recently I was voted in as the new president. Um, So subsequently because there's been a kind of a lack of structure <clears throat> to some degree. I've been spending a lot of time on that. But we are a grassroots organisation, although because of this recent inquiry, the federal inquiry from the Liberal Party, we're uh, sort of shifting gears a little bit <clears throat> um, in as much as spending a little bit more time and plan on spending a lot more time and working with other advocacy groups on getting the message to uh, to our MPs. Yeah. 
And you've been a vapor for quite some time yourself, haven't you? What's your kind of background and, and journey into vaping uh, for yourself? Yeah, I was a smoker for about 30-odd years, probably close to 35 years. And I was living in the United States for a few years. And back in late 2006, I think it was, yeah, um, I saw a friend um, pull out this thing. It was like a little e-cigarette, the same size as the cigarette. And um, I quickly went ahead and ordered one, tried it out. And the rest, as they say, is history. Um I've I've uh, not wanted to smoke since. Have no intention of smoking since. And uh, actually, much much of my focus over the last well, six or seven years, I went into sort of semi-retirement and just started a support group where I would help smokers transition to vaping. And how successful has that been? Um, it was tremendously successful in the US. Um, here in Australia, it, it, it's still been successful. But as we all know, because liquid nicotine for vaping is, is well, it's not necessarily legal per se. You have to have a doctor's prescription, but it's such a hassle. People don't, a lot of people don't want to, you know, go to the trouble of doing that. Um, because a lot of smokers aren't able to try vaping with nicotine legally, um, they kind of get turned off by it. So, so, so my success rate here have only helped you know a couple of hundred people, whereas in the states it was a lot, a lot more. A couple of hundred people is still nothing to scoff at. That's a couple of hundred people that you know may avoid dying of a smoking-related illness. Well, sure. I mean, we we know that um, the, the latest statistics here are about twenty thousand Australians a year die from smoking, and every I think. Two out, yeah, two out of three smokers are, are more than likely to die from a smoking-related illness. So hopefully, because of my efforts, and, and let's not forget other vapors out there, you know, it's a very passionate thing. Um, uh, almost every vapor I know, and I know a lot of them, have, uh, have helped at least one other smoker transition to vaping. And that's why we're seeing this exponential growth in vaping worldwide. So hats off to everybody. <laughs> And so what, what advice would you sort of give to any of our listeners out there that are currently smokers? What's the first couple of steps that they could take to, to better understand vaping and, you know, find that pathway in? Um, well, I could, you know, this, this is certainly need to give my, my website a plug, but <laughs> thevaperstable.com. But no, re- realistically, they should do one of two things. They should either... Put aside a little time, half an hour or something, and sit down with a fellow vapor, or go and visit a vape shop. There's a couple of good ones in Sydney. There's uh, quite a few in in, uh, in Victoria. Actually, they're pretty much all over the country except for WA. Um, and and just try something out. You know, I mean, virtually all of these people that work for these stores know what smokers require. Um, and um, you know, the statistics are that, that, that approximately 60% of smokers that maybe battle through that transitional period of a couple of weeks end up quitting, um, as opposed to using other traditional NRTs or non, um, nicotine replacement therapies. All right. And um, so... Uh, Web- website again. Sorry, I, I heard you men- mention your website, but can you uh, tell us that URL once more for those that didn't catch it? Yes, it's thevaporstable.com, the vape- A-U. And is that... The Vapors, V-A-P-E-R-S-T-A-B-L-E. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> is there um, ways that people can help participate in this government inquiry? Um, most certainly there is. They can either contact uh, myself or um, other members, you know, or contact me through the Vapors Table or through the new Nicotine Alliance au, and we can uh, assist them with doing a submission. But basically, the most important thing is, is, is just that smokers and vapors go and meet with their local MPs. Um, this is something that, you know, traditionally a lot of people haven't wanted to put in the effort to do so, but I, I really think, again, in light of this recent inquiry that's been announced, <clears throat> that the more people that go 
especially face-to-face. And by all means, you can write a letter to your local MP or even to the Federal Minister of Health, Greg Hunter, or his department. But actually getting taking the time to go in and sit down, even if it's for 10 minutes, and explain your story, why you think that liquid nicotine should be legalised, um, why the states and the federal government should um, lower the restrictions on vaping. Uh, the more people that do that, the better off. I mean, look, I'm an optimist, and, and, and I've said for, for the last number of years that irrespective of what's going on at the moment, we will get there, but it's, <laughs> but it's a joint effort. Everybody has to do their part. I think that's a uh, great point to, to leave it on. Thanks for joining us on the show today, Charles. That was terrific. Thank you. Anytime. Take care. And that was uh, Charles Yates, the president of New Nicotine Alliance Australia. The website, uh, nnalliance.org.au, or you can visit Charles' website, thevaporstable.com. And that's uh, almost uh, all we have time for today. There are a couple of events happening this week, uh, including the Horizons um, Psychedelic Conference in New York City uh, happening next weekend. I'll have a look, uh, see what's uh, what's being discussed there, but we might just have some um, some news out of that uh, that conference. But also uh, there's a, um, a legalised pill testing uh, fundraiser slash protest party uh next weekend, next Saturday night at Warehouse 3000. Uh, If you want the details for that one, um, look up W3K Presents Party Politics Legalised Pill Testing in Victoria. Um, That's being run in support of uh, Stephen Jolly as well and Stephen Jolly's campaign uh, for government. So we've seen um, it's certainly certainly a, a hotter issue than it has been in previous years with a lot of people getting onto that one. Any other events that you wanted to mention, Ash? Well, I'm just having a quick look. There's nothing on my radar, but I've just been... Well, there is actually... There is actually a rally happening on the 6th of October at 12pm in Canberra to support pill testing. So if we've got any listeners out there in the ACT or if anyone is so enthusiastic they feel like a trek out there, that one's coming up as well. And uh, hopefully we'll get some recordings from that um, as well. I've I've asked somebody if they can take along a a handheld recorder and record some things. Uh, Also next weekend, next Sunday, is the first uh, of the uh, spring and summer series of free cannabis community picnics at Flagstaff Gardens from 2pm, with, of course, the uh, quintessential moment being 4.20pm. That's next Sunday afternoon, so you can listen to Encyclopedia at next Sunday at 2 on your way down there, and we'll also hopefully uh, catch up with Matt Riley soon, who we haven't chatted to for a while. Queering There is up next, uh, 3cr.org.au for any more information. Contact us via social media. We'll see you next week. Catch ya. This is Encyclopedia. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter, or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. Encyclopedia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear Encyclopedia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.